Welcome back to Popcorn Martini Soup, a movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And we have been gone for a little bit, but we are back today, and we are very excited to dive into the first of what's going to be a two-part episode this time. So that's kind of exciting. There was so much to talk about that we just couldn't fit it into one. So lots to look forward to. Yeah. Anyway, what have you been up to? I have actually been trying to get involved in the local film and TV scene here in Toronto. Oh, yeah. We have the Inside Out Film Festival, which is um, a 2S LGBTQ festival, um, the largest of its kind, I think, in North America. I've been volunteering for that, trying to get out and you know, help them make it happen because they're a really great nonprofit. And it's been really fun to be involved, um, get to see some of the films and also get to kind of hang out with the community and and support a really awesome film festival. So, yeah, that's yeah. been fun. Yeah. What have you been up to? Um, I've been up to not much. I was like sick a little bit. Um, so that wasn't great. Yeah. And I was thinking about like whether, I mean, ideally you're having soup and stuff when you're sick, but you're also like so exhausted. You can't really think about mm-hmm. what to make and stuff. So all I could remember is just drinking so much Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't Which really counting? Is Gatorade know. soup? Does that count? I'm gonna start. Believe. I'm gonna start a another. We have um an ongoing soup fight in the 70 millimeter Discord. I'm gonna start more mm-hmm. drama with this question. Don't <laughs> don't get involved. It's, <laughs> we well, don't need to argue if about you, if Gatorade is soup. If you wanna know what type of Gatorade I had, it was it was blue and it was yellow. Blue is the number one Gatorade choice. Like unmatched yeah so it was it was yeah it was comforting (laughs) it was cozy it gave me soup energy (laughs) it was it was healing and and that's what mattered in the moment i'm sure but yeah other than that i don't know this is so weird but like i had a couple like andrew garfield dreams which is like really really rare this rarely happens, even though I demand it all the time. <laughs> he doesn't In actually deign to like make an appearance for you. No, he doesn't typically appear. But uh, I've been blessed by the presence of Andrew in my <laughs> dreams lately. So <laughs> I don't really have productive updates on my life lately. So yeah, that's that's it for me. <laughs> I mean, not everything has to be productive. I. No. I'm trying really hard to, and as you can maybe hear in my voice, I am now sick. It's okay sometimes if there's not much <laughs> going on, because also we need to take care of ourselves. And this is what happens when you don't, and you go too oh, hard. Totally. So. I mean, I kind of say, I just, I realize that I say this every time in every introduction, <laughs> but like, I feel like all the episodes really do line up with like the mood that we're in. And today <laughs> is like a taking care of ourselves movies like it's very self-care connected for me and that's all the Pixar movies we're gonna talk about so yeah totally agree so we decided to do a two-parter for this because well one there's so many Pixar movies yeah I don't know how we would cover them all in one single hour and we were looking at the list of movies that are there and it was really interesting looking at Pixar movies chronologically like based on their release years Mm -hmm. and so it felt like it made sense to separate it from like the classics that we know to then all the earlier ones right yeah I think there's like there at least for us as we were talking about it it felt like there was a real distinction between the Pixar movies that we grew up with 
versus the Pixar movies that have kind of come more recently and are sort of like part of our more like adulthood narrative, which feels like a really, I guess, arbitrary distinction for people who aren't our age. Like there comes a point where I think your relationship to quote unquote children's movies changes and Mm. you're viewing them like from an adult lens. And that's kind of where we separated it but it felt really natural for us so that's what we're gonna do this is our podcast we can do what we want exactly let's talk about pixar yeah let's get into the good stuff All right, so if we're going to talk about Pixar and we're going to talk about how Pixar evolved and started to sort of shape the landscape of animation for us when we were younger, we got to start at the beginning. We've got to start with Toy Story, which I feel like is one of the most like long-lasting and impactful pieces of animation specifically from Pixar but like also in the grander scheme of animation Mm -hmm. in terms of like the cultural impact it had and the way that it has stuck with people throughout the years like it just keeps coming back and not just because they keep making sequels but in the way that people talk about the animation from their youth or their childhood I feel like that's one that is constantly brought up well this was the first movie that Pixar put out um, like a long feature film animation world's first computer animated feature film yeah Yeah, I was reading that because I wanted to tie it to sort of the Disney movies that were being produced at the time when Toy Story was around. So it was like Mm -hmm. Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. Um, It was like Disney princess era. And apparently like, yeah, Pixar was like, we need to be different from that princess story. That's really Mm. like bringing a lot of money for Disney for sure. But like um, apparently this was interesting that they made like a list of what they didn't want their films to be and um, they knew that they didn't want like a fairy tale story. They also didn't want a film where the bad guy grows bigger in the third act. Um, <laughs> and they also didn't want a protagonist to be too perfect. So they wanted flaws, mm. just like Woody, who is full of flaws in this first one and onward too, actually. So I love that. Yeah. You know, growing up as a girl, I definitely got something out of the princess fairy tale narratives because sure. it's like, ooh, there are like pretty girls on screen and they're singing and they're like getting their happily ever afters. And, you know, as a young girl socialized within that, like that resonated with me. But I remember also loving Toy Story. And it's like, first of all, people contain multitudes. You can like different kinds of stories yep. and appreciating that like, yeah, there is other stuff out there. And like, this is about two male toys who go on a wild adventure and it like it did feel very different but it still is like oh there are like things that I can love in it and there's this like exciting narrative that's happening and Mm -hmm. I appreciate that they kept a lot of what like makes these kinds of movies speak to kids while still being like we are going to deliberately be different yeah also knowing that like you and I are big Ghibli fans too like at this Mm -hmm. point Ghibli was already putting out like I mean Nosco was one of the early Castle in the Sky Kiki was out I mean Kiki was out already (laughs) our Mm -hmm. favorite um Totoro like Princess Mononoke like all the major major Ghibli like staples were like most of them are out at this point um and so like even though I was still super young I was watching a lot of that already at that age and so like transitioning Mm. over to then like something like Toy Story and we want to talk about Bugs Life too like something like Bugs Life was like it came in so naturally to me because it's like oh another movie that's not like an Aladdin or like uh 
Beauty and the Beast, like, you know, the the princess centric uh, movies that were around, which, again, like you said, I love them as well. But I was like, Disney equals princess movies. Yeah. But then like there was Pixar and I'm like, Pixar speaks the same or similar language to what Ghibli produces. And I was obviously so young, but I absolutely kind of made that connection as a kid. Mm. Toy Story and Bugs Life in particular have much bigger casts of characters. Mm -hmm. And so there are so many different like bugs or toys that you can kind of see parts of yourself in as a kid. And so there was like automatically more on screen to relate to because there were so many more characters filling different kinds of roles. And it was it was just really fun to see them kind of have fun with these like bigger casts and these sort of silly throwaway characters that still meant something to the story yeah yeah bug flip was awesome (laughs) i just as you were talking there i remembered um francis who is the ladybug but he's a guy yeah and he like is trying so hard to overcompensate for being thought of as a lady ladybug yeah but then like they address it within the movie that like he is overcompensating and yeah. he is like so afraid of being thought of as a female bug yeah. and it's like actually like a very sweet and like progressive handling of that kind of narrative in this movie about bugs yeah. it seems so silly but i don't i think like i didn't even really think about that until i watched it when i was older and yeah. i was like oh that's actually like pretty good messaging for a kids movie in 1998 yeah totally So as a kid, though, like watching Toy Story and seeing the way Andy was interacting with his toys Mm -hmm. and also the way I like every time I rewatch it, I don't know, there's obviously Sid who's like the bad kid you don't want to be. But the way Andy interacts with even with his mom, like even the smallest, strangest things like Andy's just like so grateful of his mom it's really really simple and subtle it's not something that you have to like point to but it's just so natural how um how much he loves his mom he has a good relationship with his mom and that's always been i feel consistent throughout Mm. all the toy story movies and because i mean i have a i have a good relationship with my mom as well i i appreciated that that wasn't you know portrayed in like an uncool way or anything like that because i think a lot of the times kids and the relationship with the parent is depicted probably like a little bit more on the negative side because you're not cool if you're a kid and you vibe with an adult unless the adult is cool like we talked about in iron giant i really appreciated that as a kid i think so like oh i i relate like i see myself in in andy that's a really good point and like not something that i'd ever i think consciously registered but you're right now that i'm thinking about it like andy will just yell you just hear his voice yelling thanks mom and as he's like running up the stairs or whatever and it's interesting and kind of striking how often that doesn't happen yeah where like that was just like a normal thing in my household where like if mom did something for you even as you're running out the door you're like thanks mom yeah to have that be like a normalized and be treated as respectful and not uncool not like you interact with your mom like yeah yeah, that's a really good point. Well, not to bring Ghibli back up, but yeah. like because there's there's that whole trope with Disney of dead parents, right? Yeah. Where like there's usually a dead mom, there's a parent who is like not involved in some way, like they keep that is a recurring theme mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas you look at Pixar and you look at Ghibli and they're portraying these really meaningful, thoughtful parental 
relationships. I think that that's a nice, I mean, counterbalance to Disney, who was kind of dominating the market at the time, but also just like good storytelling. Yeah. And that's something that recurs through Toy Story 1, 2, and 3. Um, They never ever, like they're so consistent with that. So like with Toy Story 2, Mm. when they have like the garage sale and that's like a whole ordeal, right? It was first time it was like birthday party. We don't know what new toy is going to come. Second one was garage Mm. sale. We're out the door. We're garbage. And everyone's freaking out. Um, But who like sort of, I mean, obviously, Obviously, you know, Woody gets lost and all that stuff, but like who's on Woody's side and like knows these toys are really important to Andy? It's his mom. Like I loved seeing that a lot where there's going to be toys as you grow up that you're going to have to let go of and it happens. It's part of life, but there's also core toys that will always stay with you. And I love that the adult the mom specifically was the protector of that with Andy and not being this dumb adult that we've talked about in like our first back in our first episode you know yeah the one who was like not tuned into her kid doesn't understand why this is important to him like she was immediately on his side exactly Okay, so we talked about Toy Story, which is a huge chunk of what I was connected with, for sure. Mm. But there was then Monsters, Inc., which is only a couple years after Toy Story. It's 2001, Monsters, Inc. Six years later. Yeah. Monsters, Inc. is a beautiful... It's beautiful. It feels like such a huge step forward in in the animation. Yeah. So Sully is my favorite character. I'm going to put that out there right now. I adore Sully and I always wanted a like big cuddly Sully after seeing that movie and I I distinctly remember appreciating the way you can see like the texture of his fur clear how like soft and fuzzy and like you can look at Sully and picture the fur and like immediately identify what that kind of fur feels like on a stuffed animal. I think that speaks to just like how big a change in animation there was between Toy Story and Monsters Inc. Yeah. I feel like Monsters Inc. was one of those movies that I saw not as much as I saw some of the like constant rotation Disney Mm -hmm. movies but frequently enough because there's something so charming about it. Like the characters are really funny. The writing is really strong. Got a lot of heart that like isn't overpowering. Like there are some movies where it's like we're just going to hit you with feelings and we're right. going to be like really blatant about it. There are a couple of Pixar movies that do that. But this one is a little bit more understated. For so much of it, it's just like a really fun ride, mm-hmm. which I think Pixar does well. Yeah, there's something really charming about Sully and Mike's friendship too. And like mm-hmm. the way their story arc is, it's it's really cute because I don't know. I feel like actually speaking of like what I've been <laughs> doing the past week other than dreaming about Andrew and being sick um, <laughs> and drinking Gatorade <laughs> is I've been I've been talking a lot about friendships um, mm. and um, thinking a lot about that and defining what friendships are e- even are and that's a whole other like can of worms I guess if we get into it it's but a deep question yeah it's really cool to see this like friendship between those two characters like the different kind of like values that their, their values kind of shift from like the start to like the end it changes and evolves and um, but they eventually like find each other at the end again but they obviously have a growth like on an individual level as but well but like in that friendship too and then there's obviously boo that's like a key piece to that relationship um 
And yeah, I don't know, as an adult, like thinking back to that friendship and the way it's um, shown in this in this story is makes me think a lot. <laughs> yeah, I definitely see that. And now that you bring it up and I'm sort of thinking about some of the other early Pixar movies, Pixar spent a lot of time at the beginning of their run writing about friendship and about family when mm-hmm. Disney was so focused on romance. I don't think I ever really like sat down and appreciated that for what it mm-hmm. was and for giving mm-hmm. us these other kinds of stories and and nuanced portrayals of what friend and family relationships look like because you're right like there's so many layers to Mike and Sully's friendship and we really like that is the central relationship of this movie and we really get to explore that and then like how does that change and evolve when you introduce Boo into the mix well yeah speaking of this era like friendship families and all of that like Finding Nemo is all of that like turned up (laughs) like and this was 2003 finding nemo on its own was an era <laughs> like it's true it's so it true. was huge and it's about fish i know <laughs> we go from toys to bugs to fish <laughs> yeah how are they so relatable <laughs> Um, but one quick thing I want to say about this one that's speci- like distinct is it's we're following a dad. We're following. Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not a kid. He's not the usual cartoon protagonist. Yeah, and there's actually a lot of just like honestly kind of embarrassing dad energy. Oh my through god, the whole thing, right? So much. If Marlon was a person, he would be the like tourist dad with the bright white sneakers and the visor, high waist jeans, fanny pack. Like totally, he, <laughs> he is that like cringe dad energy. Yeah, but it's so earnest that you're like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care who this is. I love him. Yeah. And even as a kid watching that, like you can feel how cringy. Like you feel like Nemo, where it's like, Dad, right. like you're stop. so uncool. Like, yeah, and like, you know, and and you've been the kid to say, I hate you, which is mm-hmm. so hurtful. And you don't think about that as a kid. But then you see this dad and then you're like, not really invested as a kid at the start about like this dad and his sort of love and all the freaking like, not to talk about the insane trauma that he goes through in the yeah. first five minutes of the movie. I know. And, like as a kid, you're just kind of like, yeah, that's what adults go through, I guess. Like that's part of life. And like, it's it's a lot and you feel it but it's also kind of distant as a kid and parent right yeah but then at the end of it like you're also kind of like Nemo where he's just like oh like this is what love looks like or could look like Mm. and again a fish a clownfish how am I learning (laughs) that from a clownfish what the hell It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing what this story can do for like showing you the other side when you're young. And Mm -hmm. like you might think, especially if like you're someone who exclusively watches cartoons as a kid, because your cartoons are all really focused on the child perspective that like, you know, you kind of don't really see adults as people with complex lives. And like, I think that being able to get that perspective of like, look at what this dad is going through to get back to his kid and he's having this entire adventure and life outside of what Nemo 
experiences of him and there's that friendship element with dory where like there's this whole other relationship playing out on screen you're like oh like i make friends and you know i could see me and dory being friends but this is coming from the dad perspective it's like do dads have friends like yeah yeah do dads have (laughs) friends with fanny packs as well Yeah, but no, I appreciated totally. the way that they like managed to get both of those things into this movie in such a natural way and a way that shows you that like there is another side to these people's lives. Yeah, we think Pixar putting out Finding Nemo and enti- like a, a, a moment. <laughs> how do you follow with that? And they follow with The Incredibles, which how? again, like The Incredibles is another movie that I could not tell you how many times I've seen it. I yeah, same. love the Incredibles. I am an older sister. I have a mm-hmm. younger brother. The Violet Dash relationship mm-hmm. was so relatable, especially because I am like when I was growing up, I was like a little bit more reserved. I was kind of like shy and bookish. My brother is like nonstop. So it was really like seeing me and my brother on screen. Growing up, one of my favorite book series was about these kids who get recruited to be spies because nobody expects kids to be like spying on adults. I devoured those books and it was so fun and it was so like I said before like so family oriented and so loving and like I have a great relationship with both of my parents and Mm. I just I felt so excited and seen and affirmed and like all of these great things it was like I don't know there was just something so fun and personal about it even though it's this like this would never happen in real life because you know Mm -hmm. your parents aren't spies and you're not gonna have to go out and save them but what if they actually had superpowers and you didn't know about it yeah like it just when it hit all of my interests and also all of my like things that I was identifying with yeah um so yeah I loved it like from a this is an insane crazy fun story level but also from a like oh I I see things that I really identify with yeah in it yeah totally it's this is honestly probably my favorite and maybe the strongest era of Pixar I think like there are there are movies that come later that I love and Mm -hmm. I love some of the ways and we'll talk about this I think especially like in the next episode as as we talk about some of the more recent stuff ways that Pixar has continued to push things forward in terms of both animation style and also like what what do people make movies about and who is represented on screen I think that Pixar is is still doing a lot in that regard but in just in terms of like and maybe this is me speaking from a place of nostalgia but in terms of narrative and like storytelling and the impactful movies that stick with you and that like have something important to say I feel like this era is hard to beat yeah I mean so far aside from the Incredibles we've talked about fish monsters toys bugs we are not (laughs) acknowledging cars unfortunately for anyone who's listening who are cars fans um, we know that it happened. <laughs> we, we don't yeah. need to talk about it. <laughs> no. But they're all just like not human. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet they're some of the most human stories. Exactly. They're so relatable. So yeah. I love that. Yeah, you're you're so right. So coming off of what I personally feel is kind of the prime of Pixar, we have more really great movies immediately after. So right after Incredibles and Cars is... Ratatouille. (laughs) 
<laughs> and cars. And cars. Speak, say it really fast. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Ratatouille is probably one of my all-time favorites. Like Toy Story, Ratatouille are up there for me yeah. for all-time favorite Pixar stuff yeah there's something about the love and care that goes into the food in ratatouille that Mm. you would not expect from a movie about a rat that is so warm like it 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 feels like a comfort movie in that sense where you're like just give me all of this beautiful cozy food that just happens to be made by a rat in a fancy french restaurant (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many. I think they established that really well in Ratatouille way early on. So like very first and Ratatouille's like smelling all the, not Ratatouille, that's not, (laughs) Remy is, I keep forgetting that that's not his name. (laughs) But um, Remy's like, they're going through the garbage and he like finds like really nice cheese and he Mm -hmm. finds like strawberries and like that distinct moment when he like bites both things together and like it's just an explosion and they totally totally like visualize what that experience is like biting into food mm-hmm. and you know even I mean I want to I want to talk a little bit about the scene um later on that comes along when Anton Ego um his first bite into the ratatouille um actually ratatouille <laughs> the <Yeah>. food <laughs> um he's like transported back to his you know and when he was a kid and his mm-hmm. mom's cooking and stuff like that is so well set from the start and like It's just, I don't know, like, I had a whole conversation actually at work yesterday where we were talking about this book called Crying in H Mart, which Mm -hmm. we've read, and not to, like, totally sidetrack, but where it talks about, like, food and uses food as, like, sensory memories, and it unlocks a huge part of just emotions and Mm. feelings that you carry, Um, and it's just so magical, I feel, and, like... Um, if anyone who hasn't read it, who hasn't read Crying in H Mart should read it if they're a fan of food and unlocking a lot of different emotions. Um, yeah, but Ratatouille is so good at doing that. It's, it's really amazing how personal food is when it's something that is like such a universal experience how something that like everybody does makes and eats food is so tied to your emotion and your formative memories and and Mm -hmm. the way that you like exist as a person in the world and how this little movie about a rat in a parisian restaurant that like seems like such a specific experience not that it's a real experience of a rat in a parisian restaurant but like it's tied (laughs) to like the place and the journey so tightly can still be so universal in that same way yeah I just love this whole theme of this like no one believes in you you're a rat (laughs) like like (laughs) you don't belong in a kitchen you know like literally something that should not be in the kitchen and bringing those two things together and it's just like incredible storytelling Mm -hmm. One of the reasons why this is up there as my like all-time favorite Pixar movie is because when I was watching this, and I, I think I watched it with my mom. So there's this quote that my mom and I latched onto, and we kind of unpacked it together after we saw the movie. And I think that experience really stuck with me. And that quote was, not everyone can become an art, a great artist, but a great artist can come from ever- anywhere. And my mom was like, Anna, are, are you hearing that? Because like I was I was so young and I think she was just trying to like tie that into, 
you can be whatever you want. Like as mm. cliche as that sounds, because right. I totally would have just kind of like moved on through that being like, yeah, cool, inspirational quote, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Pixar doing its Pixar thing. But like my mom said, like kind of like pause, think about that and like think about how that makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really rare for me and for my like for you know especially like Asian mom and Asian family like (laughs) like pause and like sit in that feeling is it was such a rare moment and so um I think it was like really cool that my mom specifically picked up on that and I think part of the reason why is because my mom used to make ratatouille for me a lot and Mm -hmm. the ratatouille that Anton Ego's mom makes in that flashback moment where it's just in a pot it's nothing fancy it's really just eggplant and like peppers and zucchini and a bunch of things tossed Mm. in with tomato sauce like it was very like almost like a chili (laughs) to be honest where everything just came together but it it was my mom I don't know why my mom was making ratatouille where did she (laughs) even find out like a I don't know don't ask um that was like a core memory for me too that like I personally related with um so I think my mom was like here's a connection for you and sit on that a little bit oh I really love that yeah what a great moment for her to be able to take that and like connect with you in that way and say, you know, it's it's one thing for your parent to just be like, yeah, you can do anything. I believe in you. And you're like, well, yeah, you're supposed to say that. You're my parent. But to take this like piece of media and say like they are speaking to you. They are telling yeah. you what I have been trying to like convey as your yeah. parent. It's not just me. It's like sit in this. Take this message yeah. because it's not just like, oh, I'm your mom and I have to say it. This yeah. is true. Yeah. Let's okay. Let's Let's move on because the next movie that comes out after Ratatouille is Wally, and you you love Wally. What a an incredible back to back! I'm not going to say early in terms of the grand scheme of things because climate scientists have been talking about climate change for a long time. But early, mm-hmm. I think in terms of like public consciousness and understanding, like we are still in 2022 grappling with climate change. This came out in yeah. 2008, taking this like huge concept that I think a lot of people in that moment could not yet wrap their minds around of like Mm -hmm. this is the damage we're doing to the earth and like this is what our future could look like if we continue on the path we're on and distilling it down into this adorable heart-wrenching little movie about a robot again with the like non-human protagonists that you feel so connected to and so invested in wally is a robot who does not speak Mm -hmm. and he is one of the most endearing characters that you come across in animation even as a kid you look at that and you're like that's the future that like could happen it's so it's such an easy message it's so Mm -hmm. clear and it's something that adults today like still decide to fight about and still don't believe i was trying to kind of like refresh my memory on it and rewatch it and it's like it's so devastating As I was thinking about it, actually, have you seen um, like it's kind of like a mini series, I guess, called Love, Sex and Robots on Netflix? No, it's all sort of uh, animated and it's all different like directors and writers, producers per episode. It's completely separate and each episode is like around 10 minutes or so. Um, And the best way probably to describe it, it's kind of like an animated version of what Black Mirror is like Mm, and it's funny because I can totally see I mean Love Sex and Robots is definitely R-rated it's for adults like kids (laughs) can't watch it um 
But there's so much overlap because, you know, a lot of its topic is about looking into the future. It's always mm. like this dystopian future setting um, and kind of, again, similar to like Black Mirror. Um, mm. And Wally, Wally can totally live in the Black Mirror and love sex and robots era, like uh, not mm. era, sorry, universe. I think it just made me really sad to think that this was 2008. And we're in 2022 mm-hmm. and it still hits as hard and real as it does like it did then, does now. Like, yeah, we're still in wow. this position of like staring down this potential future. Yeah. I don't think that Wally was intended to like put it, put the burden on the kids who were watching it. No. But I think that yeah. the kids who were watching it took on that burden. The kids nowadays are taking on that burden in an even more significant way. Yeah. I think especially because Wally doesn't speak, whereas most of the like non-human protagonists from Pixar before do speak, which is why I love at the beginning when they have him watch that um section from Hello Dolly and it's it's like immediately you're like this little robot loves old musicals. Yeah. And it's such a like sweet humanizing moment. Like all of a sudden you can anthropomorphize this robot and relate to it. And that makes it all the more I think like devastating to watch yeah. everything that he goes through from that moment on for sure yeah him and his little cockroach friend just trying to like exist in this world that humans have ruined it's God. so sad <laughs> I don't know what it says about me that this is one of my favorite Pixar movies <laughs> Yeah. Talk about Devastating and Beautiful, the beginning of Up, which was the next movie that Pixar put out. Yeah. Also, Devastating and Beautiful. And that was like all people could talk about when it first came out. Everything that was talked about was Pixar is back again to break our hearts. It's kind of like what all the headlines were. And so that's kind of the image I had with Up and that was kind of it for me. But how about you? Up is a whole movie with a full story arc. And the most that everybody talks about is that first 10 minutes. Yeah. I remember Doug and I remember some of the like fun antics that they all get up to. But the stuff that is burned into my brain is that very beginning. And I wonder sometimes if they knew what they were doing. I mean, who am I to say that Pixar doesn't know what they're doing? Of course they know <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah. But but if they but realized no. like how how much that w- that part of the movie would overshadow everything that comes after it. Yeah. I think that it's really interesting this sort of collection of films is is dealing with some really like big things for humans to grapple with. Like yeah. Ratatouille is how do you convince yourself that you are like worthy of your dream how do you how do you chase your dream and know that like you can commit yourself to this and you're not it's not that you don't belong wally is like what are we doing to our planet and how do we come together and like change our future how do we save our future and up is this bottomless grief and where can you find hope and a sense of a future when all you can see is the loss that you've just suffered and what are the relationships that like pull you out of that they're also like big and and deep questions reflected in like the feeling like the emotion that these movies can bring out in people i think that Mm -hmm. like the last set like monsters inc finding nemo maybe a little bit um but monsters inc and the incredibles like they're they're a little bit lighter they're more fun they're a little bit snappier and these ones just kind of like sunk into emotion in a very different way yeah for sure and i think that's like an interesting evolution of of what pixar is doing Mm mm-hmm 
We're at the tail end of the decade, the 2000, early 2000 decade. And I think we were talking about like, what's the distinction between um, what we call as like, or think as classics to us um, and the next era of Pixar movies. And we were kind of, we, we surprisingly, we talked about this in the intro too, but like surprisingly kind of pinpointed Toy Story 3 as like, you know, the pivot movie, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the middle point. spot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it came out in 2010. And so thinking back to like Toy Story 1 and 2, which we talked about, like those two are by Rotten Tomato defi- definition, the perfect movies. They're both like 100%. And then this third one gets announced way later (laughs) down the line expectations are so high to to have that task in front of you to 11 years later come back to these characters and match one and two which were so well received and stayed in the public consciousness so long that is a hard bar to meet and I remember the buzz around Toy Story 3 like I went and saw it in theaters with friends and there the like the weight of expectation even just from like a bunch of kids because we were in high school and we were like we have a lot we like there's a lot riding on this movie because how are you gonna match one and two yeah to uh, that's so true to match a high school teen's expectation Like, no, no one does that. Ruthless. Ruthless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're going in to, like, fight this thing, like, already, right? Well, because, That's like, the first two were so formative to yeah. us as kids, right? It's not like you're talking about older movie critics who were already adults for the first ones and don't necessarily have the same level of, like, attachment and nostalgia. And then now, you know, when you're in high school, you are really, like, you're starting to think more critically, you're forming your own opinions. The weight that this movie carried for us, the expectations were really high. Our childhood is in your hands. You better not fuck it up is (laughs) what it's at, you know? Exactly. But, man, did they do a good job, I I thought. (laughs) I mean... Like, I, yeah, I remember coming out. I also went to see it with my friends at the movie theater, and I was so shocked at how much I loved it. And it really felt like a love letter from just, I don't know, my childhood, mm-hmm. from Pixar, from so many different things that was just gifted to us in the form of kind of like a goodbye to those childhood memories and your toys and your all these different different things that you're just kind of like moving on from as mm-hmm. you grow up. So I loved it. That's a great way to put it. And I feel like that's probably why this one feels like kind of a bookend for us to that era of Pixar is like that opened with, oh, you can relate to your toys now. Like your toys have feelings and thoughts and, and that kind of opened that for us. And then here it is giving us that love letter, that closure, that like your toys and your childhood memories and the things that were important to you when you were young will always be with you, even though you're not like playing with toys anymore and it felt like a really sweet and meaningful and like thoughtful and not condescending way of saying Mm. that like these things can always matter even if you are like quote-unquote growing out of them Mm -hmm. I'm also in awe of how they were able to bring us back 
like mm-hmm. right away, like within the first, what, like five minutes or something of the movie. And I mean, the movie starts where it's like, wait, what's going on? You're, I mean, you're already going into it. Like, I'm going to hate this <laughs> as a teen. <laughs> and it doesn't feel really familiar at first because everything you, you later on realize that this is all in Andy's mind. Um, I love that it like does like a callback to the first Toy Story and the way Andy's playing and like you know the script is the same as when Andy was a kid and it Mm -hmm. takes us back to that and then it's like a whole tape of him growing up as well and it's like I I mean who thought of this like who how who (laughs) how right in the feels (laughs) yeah yeah I was like okay I'm I'm caught up now yeah yes way to sum up my last 10 years of my life (laughs) Thank you for calling me out so effectively. Yeah. And then the way they kind of like, they also, as we're talking about this, it's making me think about how consistent they are in their format too from the start. Um, I know I've already mentioned this already, but it's 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 the new toy problem. And then it's the moving, moving pro- or the garage sale problem that opens up to a whole bunch of other things. And then now it's like, and he's going to college. It's another, like, this is the biggest life change yet and the stakes are so much higher but there's so much of the same emotional impact and so many of the same questions that are raised by it yeah and so you're going on a very similar kind of journey but growing up and moving on and leaving things behind it just it feels like it came at the perfect time yeah it's funny because they play on like the pop culture implications of barbie and ken and like some of these toys in such a fun way that is a great levity to the story to contrast just how dark it gets with Lotso and like where that plot goes like there were people crying in the theater during the like pivotal moment with Lotso that that reminds me that scene when they all are in the like the gar- the garbage um mm-hmm. place and like they all hold hands and they no. decide to die it goes so dark it goes so dark <laughs> <laughs> And I remember like talking about that after seeing the movie too. It was just like, what? That was a choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fast forward to the like towards the end of the movie, and you know, like Andy clearly like he's he's going to college. He has he's not really thinking about his toys and stuff. But again, I really, really love the way they all tied all that together of how, like, who the kind of person Andy is. And it's so consistent from the kid that he was to the kid that he is now. And, like, I felt so seen (laughs) because I had so many connections to, like, my toys and stuff, as so many of us do. Um, And it's not like I'm, like, talking to them. I mean, yeah, maybe I have talked to them, too. But, um... But like it was just like so lovely that they were able to dedicate a moment where Andy plays with them again with Bonnie, who's this new generation and this new child that comes in that also knows how to play with these toys in a way that Andy used to. Mm -hmm. It's just like a merge of these two different like generations and the fact that they were able to like dedicate a moment like that at the end. And just, again, feels like a love letter to me of like a send off of a goodbye and then to like hello to new kids and a new generation, you know? Yeah, the sense that like even with these movies that you are 
passing something that meant so much to you off to this new group of kids who are going to grow up and maybe interact with it in different ways, maybe get different things out of it, but will hopefully love and appreciate it the way that you did. Who knew when Toy Story started that a couple of movies about a toy cowboy and a toy spaceman (laughs) would turn into like such a formative series of franchise of films for so many kids. Yeah. Well, I know we're we're going to wrap up soon, but like thinking about uh, Pixar movies, I feel like we have to have to mention the amount of Easter eggs that there are in all oh of these God. movies. And if we start listing them, it'll be like a five hour talk show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, because we're like Ghibli fans, too, I did want to mention about Totoro being in Toy Story Ooh, 3 yes. in Bonnie's room was so cute so sweet (laughs) yeah and actually okay one other easter that i didn't know about uh related to toy story but also wally as well in wally there's like an ad for eggman movers which is the movie uh moving company from the first toy story so that was really cute (laughs) it's just it's Every time you watch these movies, you pick up on another one. Like, it's yeah. so thoughtful and they're so well integrated. Yeah. That it's it's like a little nod to all of the people who st- sort of stand by Pixar and, and sit through all the movies and appreciate yeah. them and pay attention. And it's, it's like a reward. Yeah. And I'm sure it is to, like, all the creators, too, because they put it in, like, and they have all these Easter eggs for themselves. But then... It extends out to the to the fans because we're all also getting older with the creators and Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a nice looking back and realizing all these like meant for adults jokes and meant for adults um, little Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah. What an impressive suite of movies that is. Yeah. I love that we didn't have a single like honestly bad thing to say about these about the ones we covered we don't talk about cars (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry this is it's a lot of cars shade it's not that we don't appreciate what cars is it's just that like it's not one of those movies that had an impact on us yeah i know that they've made like eight of them they're just they're not an important part of the canon for us in particular (laughs) yeah and so rather than waste your time talking about why we just figured Let's talk about the important ones. Personally. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. No shade to the Cars fans. <laughs> yeah. This is the no Cars universe. <laughs> Sorry to my brother. I know that you enjoyed Cars growing up. <laughs> I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, but I mean I think we covered like a lot of a lot of classics and I say ca- classics for us, but yeah, these are all so good. I, they're they're they capture like a lot of a lot of feelings. <laughs> I, don't, I don't how else do I put it? I mean, like it's a combination of a lot of things that we've already covered in our previous episodes too, including mm-hmm. like movies that raised us. It is definitely like some movies that will be up there as all-time favorites for me too, even though I didn't include it. Doesn't mean that they weren't. Mm-hmm. Um they're also like repeat like always and forevers too. Absolutely. Um, it's it's amazing that like yeah, Pixar can pull all of those things together into these really great movies yeah the staying power that these movies have and the way that 
so many of them hold up. Like, they're not the kind of movies that you look back on and you're like, "Mm, like, that's kind of cringe now. Like, the politics Mm -hmm. of this don't hold up or the message of this doesn't hold up. But, like, they were so thoughtfully made that there's still like you can sit a child down today and show them the early stuff still and get the same kind of importance and appreciation out of it yeah I think that so next time we're going to talk about sort of the next phase the more recent Pixar stuff and um, I'm kind of curious to see where we land and and how we how we think about um, how Pixar has changed and you know, some of the stuff that we got out of these movies and we talked a lot about how some of the ones we talked about today are truly like those forever favorites, those ones that that really stick with you. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, you know, what we get out of the newer ones and whether that's a difference of like, is it nostalgia? Is it that the movies themselves have changed? Um, Like how has Pixar evolved since their early stuff? Because they really have like I think especially in the 2000s Pixar was like they built a name for themselves in a very specific way and it was such a strong brand like people knew Pixar movies and they knew that they could count on them and I feel like after Disney took over Pixar that started to shift a little bit and Pixar and Disney became so much more intertwined and kind of synonymous where you were like is Mm -hmm. this a Pixar movie or is this just another Disney movie yeah yeah. And so I'm I'm excited to sort of talk about what impact that change has had on the movies and yeah. and how that affects, you know, how we took them on and how we feel about them. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about like the more recent ones because I think um a lot of what you said, the movies that we've talked about so far has been so coated with like nostalgia and like mm-hmm. I could totally see how that's going to be like really really biased in the way we perceive them and label them as like the all-time like staples of Pixar mm-hmm. um and yeah fast forward to future um it's a, it's a little bit different and <laughs> I'm gonna have a lot of things to say especially about Toy Story 4 which I oh boy yeah um which I won't <laughs> get into right now um but yeah yeah there's there's a lot of really great movies that came out recently too but um I keep I keep going back to the ones that we have talked about today Mm -hmm. um yeah we can say right now that like there's definitely a bias going forward so like yeah go into the next one prepared that you know not that we don't want to like them but that there is such a strong nostalgia filter on some of mm-hmm. these older ones that um, I think as you grow up, your relationship to movies changes, your relationship to animation changes. Yeah. Um, and your relationship to like movies that are intended for an audience that is no longer you is going to be different. So we can, we can acknowledge that going in. Yeah, for sure. It feels like Pixar is making movies being hyper aware of the people that are watching it. Yeah. And I wonder if that's the case because we're now, like, adults, I guess. We're adults, right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Um, But, and you weren't, like, aware of that. You're just a kid and you're just taking in the story as a kid for all the classics that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Versus, like, now you're taking it in as, like, as an adult aware of how a product gets introduced to the world. Um, 
So I'm sure there's that for sure, but I just don't like the way it feels like I'm being spoon-fed something that they think I want out of Pixar. Right. Yeah. It feels a little bit more like... Formulaic. Yeah. Yeah. And like they're like they're not just trying to evoke emotion, they're trying to manipulate emotion. Yeah. Which is like a different experience than just like feeling things because of a good story and I wonder yeah sometimes I wonder if that's just to do with like age and like getting old but I also think that there's (laughs) (laughs) but there's also movies that um you know like like Song of the Sea for example Mm -hmm. um and there's so many other wonderful animations that are out there that's not like Pixar or Disney um that's still has that same like for me like a ratatouille effect or like an incredibles Mm. effect or you know so it's possible where you don't feel that like manipulation from the company yeah (laughs) um and yeah so that would be interesting to talk about next time yeah definitely i think like i mean in this one we we talked about like pixar uh and ghibli and i think like looking at sort of in in the next phase like new Pixar versus something like Cartoon Saloon where there is such a genuineness to Cartoon Saloon that it kind of feels like Pixar has lost along the way yeah could be really interesting yeah yeah awesome and yeah hopefully next time mm, my voice doesn't sound quite so rough and nasally I apologize no, you, don't, you don't listen actually. to this <laughs> No, you actually sound totally normal, so okay. it's fine. It's yeah. all in my head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. I feel like there are probably a lot of people who have very strong feelings, just like we do, about mm. um, whether it's like the, the phases that we've kind of identified or um, a particular movie that really resonates um, to this day or the fact that we have completely snubbed cars if you would like to share <laughs> your feelings about any or all of the above, we really want to know. I feel like we we love having these conversations with each other because this is just like what we do. That's why we're here. We were like, yeah, we just have these conversations anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's so nice to get to like bring our friends into it and hear from other people. Um, so, yeah, let us know. Shoot us an email. Find us on social media. Pop Martini Soup, Popcorn Martini Soup. You know where to find us. Um, shoot us like a voice message if you want and then we can actually hear you as part of the conversation it would be really fun to engage like that I think so yeah I think like Pixar is such a big emotional topic that if you've got thoughts and feelings we want to hear them yeah absolutely so yeah next time as we've talked about it we're going to talk about um, the more recent Pixar movies which will be super fun so I'm excited for that yeah me too and if you want to like get ahead of things and send us a little voice note or something about the new pixar stuff that maybe we can like play and engage with on the pod that could be fun too so let us know okay i think that's it for today thanks for joining us bye bye